Hey fellow Oogies and all true crime enthusiasts out there, Cece here, and I'm the host, writer, and producer of this, the Sooner State True Crime Podcast. Welcome y'all to Season 2, Episode 6 of the show, The Murder of Gary Larson. In August 1986, the quiet suburb of Edmond, Oklahoma, just north of OKC, was rocked by the brutal murder of Gary Larson and the rape of his girlfriend, Janet Haynes. The case eventually went cold, despite police identifying several suspects. That is, until 18 years after the murder, when a peeping Tom was found in the same Edmond neighborhood. This case hits close to home for me because I was essentially born and raised in Edmond, graduated from Edmond North, go Huskies, and I've always considered Edmond a wonderful place to live and very safe. That's why when I learned about this case, I was surprised. However, this criminal shouldn't be given the power to skew the wonderful image in my hometown. It's still an awesome place to live and is safe. Thanks y'all so much for listening to the podcast. Please support the show by leaving us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or follow our social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at OKCrimeState. And I'd love to hear your comments and case suggestions. So email me at SoonerStateCrimePod at gmail.com. The sources for this and every episode are listed on the website, crimestatepod.com. And we really, really need your support now more than ever. So please donate any amount to our tip jar at paypal.me slash crimestate, and you'll receive a shout out and a handwritten thank you card. Thank you to the WYLD Gallery for sponsoring this show. And y'all go check out their website. All the links are in the show notes. Okay, let's dive into our case for this episode the murder of Gary Larson. Come away with me to Edmond, Oklahoma in August of 1986, where the following crimes occurred. On August 16, 1986, Gary Dell Larson was 27 years old and living in Edmond, Oklahoma, just north of Oklahoma City. Larson was divorced with no children and was a successful accountant and businessman. Friends described Gary as very smart, intelligent, and extremely driven, saying that he, quote, knew exactly where he was going and the things that were important in life. Gary was known as a first-class man who cared deeply for others. Gary had no known enemies and was not involved with drugs or any other high-risk activities when he was murdered. Gary had also recently begun dating a 24-year-old woman named Janet Haynes during the summer of 1986. They had only been together a short time when the relationship would end in this tragedy. His family and friends were not surprised when Gary lost his life protecting his girlfriend, Janet. Gary Del Larson was buried at Green Hill Cemetery in Muskogee, Oklahoma. It was a hot and humid night in Edmond, Oklahoma, on August 16, 1986. Edmond is a suburb directly north of Oklahoma City, and it's usually a nice, quiet, and safe place to live and raise a family. However, evil has no borders. Gary Larson and his girlfriend Janet were together in Gary's southeast Edmond home, located at 1228 Harding Avenue just north of Oklahoma Christian University. Gary went on to bed while Janet stayed up to shower before joining him. 
not too long after Janet retired. Both she and Gary were awakened by noises coming from the living room area of the home. Gary got out of bed to investigate. What the couple did not know yet was that an intruder, armed with a knife, had entered the home via an unlocked window. Suddenly, Janet heard a scream from Gary and the sounds of a struggle. Quote, it was a guy scream from deep inside, Janet later explained. Quote, he was in pain, dire pain. Little did she know, Gary was stabbed 24 times in the chest and stomach. He surprised the intruder in the dining room, which was in front of the house. The two men fought. One of the two was thrown into the wall. Janet was scared and concerned, but she wanted to try and help Gary. So she ventured out of the master bedroom into the living room. Without her glasses, Janet's eyesight was limited, but she noticed that the intruder was wearing only his underwear and a pair of gloves. The man chased Janet back into the bedroom where the two fought, but he eventually was able to tie her up. The intruder would try and knock Janet unconscious and suffocate her to the point of unconsciousness throughout the three hour long attack. Janet was also sexually assaulted by the man at knife point but he did leave his DNA. Janet would try and reason with the intruder, saying, quote, you don't have to kill me. The man would just respond, quote, yes, I do. Janet continued saying, quote, I felt it was the only way I was going to live through it was to try and reason with him. I told him I was a virgin and Gary and I were going to get married and have a family. That was before she knew that Gary was dead. The man would occasionally pause the attack on Janet and go rummage through the house. Finally, after being attacked and sexually assaulted for three hours at knife point, the intruder ties Janet down inside a closet and flees the scene. Janet called out for Gary, but heard no response. When she was sure the intruder had gone, Janet was able to escape just to make a gruesome discovery. Gary Larson was dead. In a state of shock, Janet managed to call 911. Please hurry, she pled. The first police officer on scene was Edmund PD Detective Scott Day. He found Janet standing in the doorway with her hand over her mouth and covered in blood. Quote, she said, he's dead. I know he's dead. Is he dead? Day said. Police were quickly able to determine that the intruder was looking at Janet through a window while she showered before the murder and attack. Hey fellow Okies and all true crime and Oklahoma enthusiasts, Cece here, and as a member of the Osage Native American tribe, I'm so excited to tell y'all about the WYLD Gallery which exclusively offers Native American created artwork. Visit www.wyld.gallery to check out the bright and bold pop art style pieces and some historical artwork that expresses the views of Native Americans. On the website, y'all can comment on your favorite pieces of art or artists that you enjoy. Trust me, the art is very good and it includes artists with permanent work in museum collections such as the Smithsonian National Museum of the American Indian in D.C. and New York City. Christmas is rapidly approaching, y'all, and the artwork from WYLD 
is reasonably priced and makes a thoughtful and unique gift. So visit www.wyld.gallery today to find the perfect piece of art for you or your family and friends. Links are in the show notes. According to the description of the attacker by Janet Hayes, police were looking for a 20-something white male between 5 foot 9 and 5 foot 10 inches tall with long, light-colored hair and an unkept beard and possibly a mustache. The victim, Janet, was able to work with a police sketch artist to create a composite sketch of their suspect. Initially, police were somewhat skeptical of Janet's story about a man wearing just his underwear and gloves and carrying a knife. They found it odd. That is, until they began collecting the physical evidence, which matched Janet's story. The screen in a dining room window had been cut, indicating the likely point of entry by the killer. Footprints were also found in the dirt outside the window and were measured to be size 11. It appeared that the killer spent quite a bit of time at the window. This told the detectives that their killer was also a peeping Tom. This also told investigators that Janet, not Gary, was most likely the intended target. The killer must have believed that Janet was there alone. Detectives and crime scene investigators were able to locate hair left by the rapist as evidence. The killer, who was barefoot throughout the attack, also left his footprint in blood for investigators to identify as well. The killer's DNA profile was known to police from Janet's rape kit. Police believed that this was the first time that their suspect had committed a murder, and they classified the attack as a panic stabbing and a frenzied attack. The FBI profiled the killer and described him as between 22 and 27 and a high school graduate. He most likely lived within walking distance of the crime scene. The killer was most likely traumatized by the murder and his weight may have fluctuated. He'll also look for a legitimate reason to leave the Edmond area. This was a scary event for the killer who had most likely never killed before and had not intended to murder Larson. The detectives set out in the neighborhood to try and identify a suspect. Their search yielded a lead of 18-year-old Bill Winter, who lived just two blocks away from the crime scene. His parents had moved out of state and left Winter there all alone. And just like the FBI profile stated, Winters moved in with his parents out of state shortly after the murder. However, his footprint did not match the one left at the crime scene. Tragically, just four days after Gary's murder, the city of Edmond was the scene of a massacre at the local post office, in which 14 postal workers were murdered. Every homicide detective in Edmond was assigned to the post office massacre. The murder of Larson was largely forgotten by the public, but not to the detectives who were at the bloody crime scene. This caused the neighbors of Gary Larson to not be interviewed before they forgot any details of the night of the murder that could have helped detectives. Unfortunately, the case went cold for the next three years. But in 1989, Edmund Detective Dennis Dill was investigating a burglary 
when he discovered a picture of a man named John Brent Johnson. Detective Dill thought that Johnson looked a lot like the composite sketch of the murderer and placed him in a photo lineup. The victim, Janet Hayes, picked Johnson out as the man who killed her boyfriend and brutally assaulted and raped her three years prior. Janet told the detectives she was certain that she had ID'd her attacker. Johnson had been out of prison for grand larceny, burglaries, and a stolen vehicle, and was released just a month before the murders in 1986. Records showed he had moved in with his mother in Edmond after he was released from prison. This matched up with detectives' idea that the killer was familiar and possibly lived in the same neighborhood as Larson's home. Johnson stole to support his drug addiction. A warrant was issued for Johnson's arrest, and once he was in custody, he was charged with the first-degree murder of Gary Larson and first-degree rape of Janet Hayes. Johnson turned himself in. At Johnson's preliminary hearing, the state was still awaiting the results of the DNA testing of Johnson against the evidence recovered from the crime scene. Therefore, the victim identified John Brett Johnson as the murderer and rapist. In addition, Johnson's best friend testified that the night of the murder, August 16, 1986, Johnson came home with blood splatter and even admitted to killing someone in Edmond. Despite the testimony about his guilt, Johnson was later found to not be a match to the evidence at the scene. Over the next 18 years, detectives checked their suspects from seven different states against the footprint, but never found any matches. And the case officially went cold. That is until the spring of 2004, when Edmond residents learned of a peeping Tom caught in the southeast part of town. The homeowner and father, Scott Eggleston, told police he knew that someone had been watching his family for months and even taking pictures through their blinds. Finally, Scott came around the house to find the suspect, dressed in all black. The suspect had made his outfit like a turtleneck that he could pull up to cover his face with eye and mouth holes cut out, and the man was barefoot. The Edmund detective who had worked the Larson murder years before felt a rush of adrenaline. He pulled out a map and realized they were directly across from the Larson murder scene. The man was 40-year-old Jonathan Graham. Police found a bag in Graham's possession that was an indication of his true intentions. Inside the bag, police found several kinds of knives, three pairs of handcuffs, flex cuffs, condoms, sex lubricants, sex toys, a lock-picking tool, bandana, and black clothing. For police, this was obviously a rape kit. In August of 1986, Graham was living with his parents just a few blocks from Larson's home. He was back living there after a short time in the Army. With a warrant, police searched Graham's computer, and they located child pornography and photographs of his peeping Tom victims. Graham also admitted to losing weight after the murder and joining the Army, where he worked in military intelligence. He returned to Edmond, Oklahoma after being discharged from the Army. The bloody footprint found at the scene was matched to that of Jonathan Graham, as well as the DNA profile from Janet's rape kit. 
he was charged with the first-degree murder of Gary Larson. The FBI profile was remarkably accurate in predicting Graham's age, education, and where he lived. Jonathan Scott Graham was charged with the first-degree murder of Gary Larson, and initially, the rape of Janet Hayes was determined to be beyond the statute of limitations due to it being 18 years prior. The state of Oklahoma also had indicated it would be seeking the death penalty in the case. Therefore, in order to avoid a death penalty sentence, Graham agreed to a plea deal. He pled guilty to charges of first-degree murder, first-degree rape, and first-degree burglary. The rape and burglary charges were added as a part of the plea deal, despite previously being ruled past the statute of limitations. Graham also was required to admit his guilt for the child pornography and photos of his victims as well. Graham also waived his right to appeal and have a jury trial. Graham claimed that he had not committed any additional crimes, but if any other crimes were detected, the state would consider the plea agreement void and would seek the death penalty. Graham also had to submit to a videotaped interview with Edmond Detective Stephen Day. Quote, when you commit a crime like this in Edmond, it does not go unanswered, Day said. On Wednesday, January 5th, 2005, Jonathan Scott Graham pled guilty to the 1986 murder of Gary Larson and the rape of his girlfriend, Janet Hayes. He was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. Larson's sister, Diane Clary, had approached the bench before her brother's killer was sentenced. She wanted Graham to look at the faces of the lives he destroyed. She stated, quote, He'll never really pay for what he did, but I'm glad this evil is being put away. Thanks y'all so much for listening to the sixth episode of season two, The Murder of Gary Larson. If y'all are enjoying this podcast, please help us out by leaving a five-star review in Apple Podcasts and subscribe anywhere you listen to your shows. Also, follow our social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at OKCrimeState. And I'd love to hear your comments or case suggestions. So email me at SoonerStateCrimePod at gmail.com. And check out our website, crimestatepod.com. And we really, really need your support, y'all. So please donate any amount to our tip jar at paypal.me slash crimestate. You'll get a shout out and a handwritten thank you card. Thanks y'all so much for just listening, though. I hope that all the time, effort, and work I put into the podcast is worth it. So let me know. Thanks y'all. I'll be back with our new episode in about two weeks. Be sure y'all are subscribed so you never miss a new show. Now, until next time, everyone, please stay sooner safe out there, y'all.